0: The following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning, family. Uh, This morning we have two scriptures. Um, The first one is Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to the first half of verse 4, which is on page 575 in the Pew Bible. And the second is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and that's on page 857. So before doing anything else, I thought it might be helpful to let you know what the goal of today's message is. Because it's Advent season, and because what the youth group has been learning lately, I've been thinking a lot about these two phrases, and that is, a king of promise and a soon coming king. We know now, in our present day, that Jesus is the King of promise, but it wasn't always known who this Messiah would be, who this King would be. So what I want us to do this morning are these two things. First, I want us to take a look at what the people of the Old Testament understood about the Messiah. And secondly, I want us to understand what Jesus being the King of promise means for us as believers. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this time um, that we can gather together and worship you, lift up our voices to you, that we can gather as a family, united uh, through what your son has done for us, that we can open up your scripture um, and just read uh, these words that have been preserved. I pray that your spirit would be upon us um, and that we would be able to gain wisdom um, from what your word says. Amen. So, over the last year, uh, the youth group has been studying the books of the Bible using a video series called The Bible Project. And I believe it was in January of this year that we started in the book of Genesis, and we're about one video away from finishing up with Isaiah, which is, feels appropriate for this season. And as we've been going through the books of the Old Testament, the youth group and I have noticed two things. The first is that Israel was terrible at listening. And they were e- <laughs> like us, uh, and they were easily distracted as well. To name just a few instances, in the book of Exodus, when Moses is on the mountain of uh, Mount Sinai, receiving the Ten Commandments, the people of Israel are down at the bottom of the base of the mountain, uh, building and worshipping an idol. In Joshua, when the people of Israel were clearly told that the spoils of battle were off-limits, Scripture tells at least one man who took garments and silver after the battle of Jericho. Time and time again, we see that Israel was rebellious and strayed from what God would have for them. The second thing these group and I have noticed is that despite Israel's rebellion, God, in his mercy, never stopped providing a way for his people to be reconciled with him. Israel would rebel and God would forgive he kept the promises of everything he told Israel he would provide. Even when Israel rebelled, God multiplied their numbers. When Israel complained and doubted, he provided them with a land overflowing with provision. And when Israel refused to turn from rejecting their covenant with God, God dealt his judgment, but he also provided them with a hope. He promised that God... Uh, that he would provide a way for his people to be made right with him once and for all. So it's this hope that the Israelites were given that I want to focus on this morning. Because even though we're thousands of years removed from when the Israelites were given that promise, we nonetheless share a very similar hope still today. So let's turn to our first text of Isaiah 11. Which reads, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. In chapter 11, God is speaking to the prophet Isaiah. He's speaking to Isaiah, and in the first half of this chapter, God is giving him a prophecy about the Messiah. In verse 1, God is telling Israel where to look for this Messiah. He says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. At the time this word is given from the Lord to Isaiah, the time of Jesse, the time of King David, and the time of Solomon uh, have all come to an end. This first verse is telling Israel that the coming Messiah will come from the line of Jesse, which is the same line of David and Solomon. Looking back on Israel's history, one commentator writes this. He says, The time will come when all signs of life in the Davidic monarchy will have disappeared, like a tree cut to a stump, but there remains a secret vitality. We know that during the time of Isaiah's writing, that the time of the Davidic monarchy was not far off. Israel would be conquered by Babylon, and the ruling line of David would cease. However, there remained a secret vitality, and along with it, a promise from God of a coming king. Verse two, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Here in verse two, God gives more information about this Messiah that moves the reader just beyond the simple understanding of where he will come from. God, through Isaiah, tells the people of Israel that this, what this Messiah will be like. This Messiah will be different than any king they've had or any prophet they have known. He will be the complete fulfillment of what others have foreshadowed. He will be uh, empowered by the Spirit of God. He will be wise and have the right judgment of all things. He will have divine understanding and be able to see to the heart of an issue. The Spirit of counsel will give the Messiah the ability to devise a right course of action. And with power will be able to see it through. Now, regarding the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, uh, one commentator has this to say. He says, knowledge is enjoying a personal, intimate relationship with a person. And when that person is the Lord, the relationship demands and prompts fear, which shows itself in moral concern, obedience, sensitive conduct, loyalty, and worship. Now, before we go any further, you might get the true sense of the word of how fear is being used here, just by that quote. But I want to make it very clear. When we think of fear, we typically think of cowardice, being afraid of, or wanting to run away from something. However, that's not how it's being used here. Um, Understanding this difference, um, the difference that The word fear here is being uh, used instead of reference. So instead of fear, a cowardice fear, wanting to run away from something, it's better understood as um, reverence. So understanding this difference is crucial when we talk about the relationship between God the Father and Jesus. When Jesus comes to the Father, he does not come to him in cowardly fear, but on equal terms. The Father and Son are in unity with one another. They have a right and truly perfect relationship with each other. Jesus' obedience and worship of the Father is not done through fear. Rather, it's an expression of divine love. Verses 3 and 4 again. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And his delight shall be in the fear, or as we just discussed, his delight shall be in the reverence, in the obedience, and in the worship of the Lord. In judgment, he shall judge according to the truth of the matter, not simply by how how things appear at first, or by what others are saying. And with righteousness, according to a divine standard, This Messiah will judge both the poor and the wicked equally. This is the hope that was given to the people of Israel by the Lord that this Messiah would come and live among God's people, display these qualities, and be the one to restore their relationship with God. But something I'd like to point out is that what Israel actually was promised about the Messiah, and what the people of Israel understood the Messiah to be, were not completely aligned. The people of Israel knew that the Messiah would come from the line of David, and because of this, they expected the Messiah to come in the form of a ruler, or in the form of a king. Someone to free them from the oppression of the Romans. But as we know, God's plan was different than man's. So that brings us to Luke chapter 2. Verses 1 through 12. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of the Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, As I mentioned before, the first four verses of Isaiah 11 are a promise to Israel. And in Luke chapter 2, we read about that fulfillment of the promise. Jesus the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, Savior of God's people, came to earth in the most humble of ways. A baby born in a stable and laid in a manger. Yet appointed by the Father to be the ransom for many, and to defeat sin and death. As the song that we just sung um, goes, I want to read it for you one more time. Follow the star to a place unexpected. Would you believe, after all we've projected, a child in a manger? Lowly and small, the weakest of all. Unlikeliest hero, wrapped in his mother's shawl. Just as a child, is this who we've waited for? See, Christ did not come in the way the people of Israel expected. And throughout his ministry, many doubted if he truly was the Messiah. However, there were plenty of people who rightly proclaimed that Jesus is Lord. Those people recognized that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promised hope, as the promised Savior. And church, we can share in that same hope today. If we are born again through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, we can claim that Christ is our Savior. And in fact, there's still another hope that we can have as well. Another promise that we've been given that has not yet been fulfilled. And that is Christ's return. Jesus, the King of Kings, whose birth, life, death, and resurrection were all long foretold, is coming again. So church, during the season of Advent, Uh, I want you to do two things. First, I want you to remember. Remember remember all that God has done up until this point. All that he has worked together, all the things he said he would do and has done. And secondly, I want you to look forward. Look forward to what God has said about Christ's return and look forward to the coming King. Amen. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, again, there are just so many things that uh, get brought up this season, Um, but we just want to rejoice before you this morning, knowing that uh, this season has brought the birth of your son, Jesus, and um, we know that there will be a second coming, Lord, Uh, and we look forward to that day. Again, we just pray that you would be with us as we gather together. Um, Pray that you would be with us during our meal, and let's just um, continue to let our worship um, continue down there as well. I pray that you would bring all of us closer to one another and closer to you. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipi, New Hampshire 03890.